In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So today Christ says quite possibly the most famous I am statement. The most famous title that he personally identifies with. That's I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard that so many times before and we know that this is one of the most famous titles that Christ uses to identify with himself. But I want you to notice that when Christ said this, he didn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's a huge difference here because when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, the life, there's a definitive article here. And so, in a sense, what he's saying is, I am the only way or the only truth, or the only life. So there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life. I'm not just one of many ways. I am the one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life. And unfortunately, if we look around, especially in our society here in America, that doesn't seem to be the common consensus. A lot of people think that there are many other ways or truths or lives that we can live and everybody has their own version of their truth or the way they want to live. And we see that here all too common. Okay, So what this really reminds me of is actually a scene in one of my favorite movies and kind of relates to our society nowadays. I just want to take a moment to share a quick little scene with you from one of my favorite movies. I hope it's not a little glitchy or anything. And I do have to warn you that um, there's a little spoiler alert here. So if you haven't seen the Avengers Infinity Wars, I have to tell you that you're probably living under a rock. (laughs) But um, if you plan to see it and you haven't, I don't know why you haven't yet, but if you haven't and you don't want to hear any spoilers, just tune out for the next two minutes, okay? Alright, here we go.
All right, so in this little clip, um, in the scene whenever Thanos collects the reality stone and he has the power to distort reality to his own version of whatever he wants reality to be, he basically constructs his own version of life or his own version of truth. Basically, the world that he wants to live in, right? And there's actually this like famous quote at the end of the scene where he just says, reality can be whatever I want. Reality can be whatever I want. And in a sense, that's the sort of mindset that we see in our society today. And I'm not going to really harp on this for too long, but we know that truth has become very subjective. We know that, you know, God is basically reduced to nothing in our society. Just recently you saw what was happening with um, whether some states determine churches to be essential or not. So here in California, it's pretty much as secular as it gets. And it, it took God knows what for some changes to happen for the state to, to say, okay, churches can open even though, yes, we want to be safe and follow health precautions. But like we had marijuana dispensaries that were open and we had so many other businesses that were open. But for the, the society that we live in, what they've determined, the reality that they live in, is a reality where God is not essential, right? Uh, we, we live in a reality where what is righteous is confused with what is sinful, right? We, we see so many um, music or uh, movies that we see that have impure words or scenes or things that the world says that's fine, you know? There's no big deal with a, a, a couple of uh, vulgar words here or there, you know? If you walk into uh, the lunchroom in your uh, workday, you're going to see people gossiping or talking in, in, in a way that's foreign to the, the, the Christian lifestyle and that is totally fine that, that that's that's a way of life that the world said is is cool like it, it is no problem with it we've even gone to the, to the extent of defining life on our own terms where where now people are saying and I know this isn't new but people are saying a fetus a an unborn child is not a life, you know, and that's why people say abortion is fine, right? Now, of course, there are some terrible circumstances where someone may be raped or there is incest or, or whatever it may be, and that's awful, of course. But can, can something ever justify murder? And if we really define this fetus as a life, then regardless of what the reason may be, we would never justify that as 
as truth. We would never allow that. Uh, we've gone to the extent of defining genders based on our own terms or sexual preference. So there's, there's so many lies that the world is feeding us, our society and this secular place that we live in, where everything has become relative. Everything is just subjective. And that's because we don't remember the words of Christ. We don't remember that He said He is the one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life. Not our own fabrication of truth or the lifestyle that we want to live based on our own terms. And again, like I said, this isn't something new. Like I'm not telling you something you've never heard before. As a matter of fact, like this has been the battle humanity has been fighting since day one. If you remember how Adam and Eve felt, it was essentially from a lie that the devil fed them, right? So the very first attack on humanity was a distortion of truth. It was this, this deception or this illusion that Adam and Eve can live in a different way or that they can distort their reality to think that they can become their own gods, right? And we sometimes fall into that. And not only do we listen to the lies that the world is feeding us, but a lot of times we feed our own self some lies, right? Our heart may be a little bit deceitful. This is exactly what the scripture says, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Actually, St. Augustine said the easiest person to deceive is oneself. The easiest person to deceive is oneself. So aside from society deceiving us, we fall prey to our own deceptions more so than the deceptions of society sometimes. So, I don't want to linger with this too much, but we have to realize that truth is under attack. We have to realize that the way of Christ is under attack. The life of Christ is under attack. And unless we hold on to the way, the truth, the life, the, the model that Christ has set for us, then we will drift away with every influence that pressures us in society. I remember there was a, um, a monk that was... was working really hard in his spiritual life, and he started to increase in his prayers, his fasting, and his discipline, and he is very rigorous. And as he continued to increase and, and elevate in his spiritual life, um, he resorted to complete seclusion and isolation in his own cell. It wasn't like a quarantine because of a pandemic, but this was just his own decision and his father confession told him that it's not good for him to be completely secluded without interacting with the community of the monks and serving because it's not time for that yet but he was just fixed in his own mindset and he wanted to just uh, pray on his own or read on his own do his own thing in his own cell and he ignored the direction of his father confession 
while he was in that mindset, um, there was an angel that appeared to him and told him that because you have reached such a high level of purity and holiness, God wants to take you up to heaven. Okay, but just make sure you don't tell any of the monks because they're going to get jealous. Okay, so what God wants to do is He's going to send a chariot while you walk up to the top of the church building. And when you see the chariot, while you're on the roof, I want you to, to jump off into the chariot and God will take you up to heaven. But just don't make sure you don't tell anybody because I don't want you to make the rest of the monks jealous. And of course, we know where the story is going. Some of you might have actually heard this before. But it was a demon that was deceiving him. He appeared in the form of an angel. And because he listened to that deception, because he ignored his father's confession, because he was set in his own way, because he was set in his own mindset, he did exactly what the devil told him. And of course, as soon as he just jumped off from the roof of the church building, this chariot or whatever illusion was in front of him just disappeared and he fell from the very top of the church building down to the ground. By God's grace, he didn't actually die, but he was in critical condition and he was barely alive. He was only able to live for another day or two, but it was just enough for him to offer sincere repentance and to, to, to confess his sin and the deception and the illusion that he was falling into. So we have to realize that if we ignore the life that Christ had set for us and we ignore all of these warnings that God gives us, then we're going to just slowly drift away into our own individual mindset. And we might not think we're opposing God deliberately. We might think that oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. We might think that I'm just living my own life. I'm peaceful with everybody. I, I just do my own thing and that's it, right? But if that's the life that we live, it will still gradually take us away from God because we're set in our own way and our life is determined based on our own terms. C.S. Lewis says, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And because a lot of times we just drift away into our own mindset and we live our life on our own terms, we, we kind of disguise it saying, we're not doing anything terrible, I'm not killing anybody, right? I'm not going out to steal every day. I'm not going to the club and getting drunk and doing all of those things. So I'm cool, right? But we're called to a higher life. We're called to realize that the way, the truth of life is found in no one else but Christ. 
And we have to realize that He is the only way. He is the only truth. There's no other life. If you remember, whenever St. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, very early, Sunday morning, as the song goes, she realized that the gardener was actually Christ. Right? And she turned to him and said, Rabboni. And St. John makes it a point to translate this word for us from the Hebrew to the Greek. And he says, which is translated to mean teacher. So we know that she turned, she says teacher, right? And this is exactly when Christ says, do not cling on to me. Because she's going to reach out to him. And like this picture is kind of cool because he's almost like giving her a stiff arm, kind of like, <laughs> you, you can't hold on to me like that. And I've explained this to you before, but it's because she didn't know who he really was. To her, he was just a teacher. He was a good guy. And nothing more. She's going to continue to live the life that makes sense to her. And, and it may be innocent. We may be living a decent life. But is a decent life, is a moral life what saves us? Is eternity just about living a decent moral life? Or is it about abiding in the truth? Is it about a relationship with the one and only Christ? So I got to think, I mean, so many good people are living their life now, but what is that worth without Christ? Is it really a good life? You know, maybe people are, are, are walking around harmlessly, but without the active pursuit of Christ, something will always be missing. If you remember during the Acts prayer today, we actually uh, read one of the most beautiful stories. It was um, St. Paul's transformation. Okay, so he was on his way. He was going to Damascus and St. Paul was living his own life, right? His own way, his own truth, his own life. But as soon as he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, something happened, right? And he asked two critical questions. Who are you, Lord? And Lord, what do you want me to do? These two critical questions are at the core of someone who is seeking truth. Someone who is seeking the one and only way to live, the true life. Right? These are the most important questions any one of us can ask. Sure, St. Paul was living a terrible life. But he was chosen because in his own mind, he was doing what was right. But as soon as he had that revelation, he was able to say, who are you and what do you want me to do? Now, what does it actually require for someone to ask these two questions? And this is exactly why St. Paul was chosen. 
He was a chosen vessel even though he was a murderer. God chose him. He chose a murderer, someone persecuting the church. Why? Because he had the humility to submit to the truth. And this is something that we always have to keep in mind. That for us to submit to the way that Christ has set for us, to submit to the truth, not the truth that we want to have, to submit to the life that He has given us, the lifestyle that He wants us to live, not the lifestyle we want to live. We have to have the humility to face that truth. We have to have the humility to say, Okay, fine. Forget about my own version of the way I want to live, my own version of the truth, my own version of the lifestyle I want to live. I want your way, your truth, your life. That's tough. Trust me, it's not easy. St. Paul had the greatest humility because he was able to ask those two questions. Who are you? He really sought to know the real Christ. He didn't say, I know what I'm doing. Right? He didn't say that. Father Anthony Kinier says, The doorway to humility is acknowledging and then accepting the truth. For humility is simply admitting what is true. That's the essence of humility. It's simply truth. It's admitting reality. Going back to the scene I showed you in the beginning of the sermon is whenever Thanos wanted to fabricate his own reality, it's because he didn't have the humility to live life unselfishly. He wanted his own version of the truth. Right? I know this is a fictional character, but we got to think about whether a part of us is really trying to live our own convenient life. The story where um, Abba Arsenius uh, fell sick at one point in his life, and a priest came to minister to him. He took him to the church, and um, he brought a, uh, a mattress for him and... and a nice pillow covered him and tried to take care of him so that he could be comfortable and heal during his illness. During that time, an, an older man came and he, he saw this scene where Abba Arsenius is basically spoiled um, and it kind of scandalized him. Like, how is this great saint like laying in this luxury like this? So the priest asked this older man what he does for his own profession. And the older man said, I used to be a shepherd. So he said, well, what kind of life did that require? He said, I, I, I used to work really hard and labor and toil. And it, it was a very excruciating life. But now I have my own comfort of the cell and everything I need is in my cell and you know I can just settle down and be comfortable now. The priest 
heard this and responded to him saying, if you knew the life that Abu Arsenius had, he was actually the wealthiest man in town. Abu Arsenius was actually a, a king and, and a, a, a prince and he had a mansion and he had thousands of servants. Um, I mean, he was wealthier than anybody else in the whole land. And he traded that for the poverty of the monastery. And of course, as soon as the older man heard this, he realized that St. Arsenius did have the humility to just submit to the, the, the life of Christ and to give up that convenient way of life that he was living before. So, in concluding the story, the sayings of the Father puts it this way, The mind of the old man was opened, expressed contrition and said, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. Truly, this is the way of truth. Abba Arsenius has come to a state of humility while I have attained to ease. Right? He realized that the truth is, St. Arsenius was living the Christian life. St. Arsenius submitted to the way, the truth, the life of Christ. Whereas this man was living life on his own terms and he realized that it was Father Arsenius who traded his luxuries for poverty, but this old man traded his poverty for a life of luxury instead. So this just reminds us that the saints didn't live their own selfish lifestyle. They didn't live life on their own terms. They submitted to the life of Christ. They submitted to the, to, to the truth in Christ. And that's why we could almost always equate humility with truth. To have humility is to set aside my own version of my reality, to forget about living life on my own terms, and to face the truth, to face the lifestyle that Christ has set for me. And of course, it's better than anything that any of us can imagine. In the beginning of this passage, he says that I go to prepare a place for you where my Father is, there are many mansions. Right? We're not just submitting to a miserable life. We're submitting to the the life of love, the life of purity, the life of joy. And that's only found in Christ. It's not found in living a moral life. It's not found in just living decently and getting by, making sure that you're harmless. That's not what it's about. So if we ask ourselves why we don't always follow in this path, just like St. Paul who was willing to say, Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? If we wonder why we don't readily ask that question, what do you want me to do? Or why we sometimes insist on living in our own convenient way, our own distorted truth, our own selfish lifestyle, the answer is clear. I think the simple answer to that question is that our pride simply gets in the way to submit to the truth. It gets in our way to truly submit to the life of Christ. St. Vincent says, Humility is nothing but truth, whereas pride is nothing but lying. 
It's our pride that feeds us that lie, just as the serpent fed Adam and Eve that lie, that deception, that they can live life on their own terms, that they can live life as their own gods. They can live their own life, right? And again, going back to how society has always been feeding us these lies, we're called to live an individualistic life. You be you, do your thing, you know? You got to stand out, you got to represent how you feel, it's all about you, it's all about you, and that's not the Christian path. The Christian path is, I want to be Christ. I don't want to be my own distorted reality, right? And that's whenever the true self really comes to life. We are created in the most unique way. Just a few days ago, we were in, uh, talking about St. Paul's words to the Ephesians. And in the second chapter of Ephesians, he says that you are God's masterpiece. And the Greek word for that is poema. That comes from poem. You are God's poem. You are God's poetry. You are God's art. And it doesn't mean you're basic. It doesn't mean you're boring. It doesn't mean that you have no unique identity about you. But if anything, it means the exact opposite. It means that you are so unique. It means that your life is so beautiful that God made you as an art, right? But again, we got to set aside that pride in order to submit to this beautiful life, this artistic poetic life that God has set in store for us. So, I'll just wrap up with a, a simple story that really brings this concept to life. Um, one person that comes to mind that really lived this is St. Pachumius. And remember, St. Pachumius was a father of thousands of monks. Okay, So he, he had thousands of disciples under him. He used to be a pagan and he changed his life. He came to Christ and he increased in his monastic life to the extent that he had that many disciples following him. Now, in the life of St. Pachomius, there was one day um, while he was weaving a basket, and this is something that the monks would typically do. He was sitting there and he was weaving a basket or, or something like that. And a boy came to him and he said, um, Not so, Father. Don't turn the thread this way. Father Theodore actually showed us another style of weaving. Okay? And again, keep in mind, this is St. Pachomius, right? And this little boy comes and tells him, like, dude, you got it all wrong. <laughs> so, as soon as he heard this, St. Pachumius actually responded saying, Yes, teach me the style. Okay? Keep in mind too, that this boy that told him about this other style that he learned, was referring to the style of weaving that Abba Theodore taught him. Who's Abba Theodore? He's actually one of St. Pachumius' disciples. <laughs> and so, easily St. Pachumius could have said, I am the one who taught Abba Theodore. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you trying to say? 
let me do my own thing. And you're just a little boy. Like, do you even know who I am? Like, why, why are you bothering? It's none of your business or whatever. But he said, yes, teach me. Teach me this style. And the story says that after the boy taught him, he sat to work gladly. And, and he even anticipated the spirit of arrogance tempting him. And, and he rejected that because it's not the way of the flesh. Right? The story says, if his way were the way of the flesh, he would not have cared, but would have even reprimanded the child for having spoken out of turn. But not only did he not reprimand the child, but he received his instructions, he took his opinion, and he was glad. He was glad to learn something new. Because he was open to Christ speaking to him. He didn't just want to be stuck living his own life on his own terms. And this is again somebody who's directing thousands of monks. And this is the humility that he had to submit to that life. So I hope that we can learn from that to, to, to really seek the right way, the right truth, the right life, which is Christ. And aside from Christ, there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other life. So may God give us the grace to always seek Him and to live in His way, His truth, and His life. Unto Him is due all glory forever and ever. Amen. Alright, so there is one question, which is, how can we say Jesus is the only way to salvation to those that are in remote parts of the world that have been exposed to the gospel? I think the question may mean that have not been exposed to the gospel. Um, because if somebody living in the remote, a remote part of the world, maybe they didn't have access to the gospel. And, I mean, we really have to have an, an apostolic mindset. The very same way that the apostles thought. You know, they were sent into the world to preach to the nations that never heard of Christ. They were sent to, to preach to the Gentiles. Um, people that might have heard Him and rejected Him. People that never heard Him at all. And we, we, we always start with the, the fundamental message of the gospel itself. Remember, whenever the scripture um, mentions the word, the word gospel, it's not referring to the set of books that we have in the Old and New Testament altogether because that wasn't really compiled until a few centuries later. So when St. Paul says gospel, what he's really referring to is the message that God became man he suffered for us, He paid the price for our sins, raised us from our death, and gave us a new life. Right. So the, the message of the gospel is that Christ came, died for us, rose from the dead, in order to give us a new life. Okay? It's not about passing a bunch of Bibles around. Okay? And that doesn't take away from the significance of the Bible, of course, but if we are to reduce the essence of the gospel message to a single phrase, it would be just that, that 
God saved us by sending his son to die for our sins and to resurrect from the dead on the third day. So this is the message that we have to share with others. Um, There are so many charities, um, like I think the Gideon Project is one of them, or a non-profit organization that uh, works to um, get Bibles to these remote places that don't have access to Bibles. And our role, our part is to, um, is, is to be a part of that evangelism. And that's why we have, uh, we have to be concerned with our role here in our county, in, in, in our city, before even concerning ourselves with places in other countries. Like, am I spreading the message of the gospel to to my work, not by just like shouting out that Christ is my Lord and Savior while I go to work, but in representing Christ and sharing that message in in a way of wisdom. And then if I prioritize that, if I'm concerned with that, then that will continue to radiate and that chain will continue to 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 spread. And that's how light works. For those who have not ever heard of Christ, what what would God um, hold against them? Right? If someone lived in a village that never heard of the gospel and they died without ever hearing the, the name of Christ, what would God hold against them? Right? I mean, this is the same God that created that person and died for that person. Right? So let's not be so much concerned about their judgment. Let's be concerned about what we can do within our inner circles to spread the message of the gospel, to spread the, the way, the truth, and the life, and even to spread it outside of our inner circles. But we got to start with that sort of progression, right? Start at home. Like Christ said to the disciples in that sort of progression, like Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the world, right? So we do what we can to spread the gospel from our homes to the end of the world, and we leave the rest to God, who is absolute unconditional love, and will judge everyone according to their mercy. And there's no doubt that He will give salvation to all of those out of His love, and He will account for what each one of us knows. As a matter of fact, I'm more concerned about my salvation than the person who's never heard of Christ. (laughs) Because to whom much is given, much of Him will be required. So, it's always important for us to keep that in mind.